Thank you for joining us on That's a Good Question, a podcast where we answer your questions from last Sunday's sermon at Peace Church. We hope that these answers will encourage you and help you see the depth and beauty of the gospel. Let's dive into this week's questions. Hey, everybody. Welcome to That's a Good Question. I'm Pastor John, and I'm here with... Pastor Daryl. And we're excited to get to talk today and answer some questions that you all asked. Welcome to That's a Good Question, where we get to answer questions that you all have asked, questions about the Christian faith, questions about the sermon that was preached on Sunday at Peace Church. This past Sunday, sermon was preached by Pastor Daryl, and uh, we got to continue and actually conclude our series on Easter, Light Up the Darkness, and talk about Jesus being the light of life. So excited to get to answer some questions. Now, each of these questions actually kind of dives off of a different point that you made in the sermon. None of them is about the main point, uh, but that's okay. And that's awesome. Excited to answer those. So here we go. First question. How does teaching an old earth or evolution perspective contradict with the Bible? So that's a great question. And uh, I think it came off of just a very short comment that you made during the sermon. Right. Yeah. I made made a question about the darkness, you know, embraces the naturalistic, humanistic, getting rid of God, yeah, and which brought up the the theory of evolution, yeah. which is a very controversial subject in yeah. in a lot of ways, especially in the church. So, yeah. you know, does it contradict the scriptures? Well, first of all, I think someone who who does struggle maybe with how it all came about and maybe has some questions about it, and they still want to be a member of Peace Church. I think that's fine. Yeah, yeah. You know, there, there is a, it is. It's a, okay to have questions yes, and, and it struggle is. with this. Yeah, yeah. But I, I do, I do think that people who want to have an old Earth view are missing a lot of beauty in the Scripture and what the Scripture says. Um, and just for example, you know, when God creates the, um, everything, so Genesis one thirty one says this, and God saw everything that He had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So, you know, the question would be, is God standing over millions of years of natural selection and survival of the fittest and saying, this is, this is very good. Right. And I don't see that in scripture. Right. Because we see that after the fall, we see um, Romans 5.12 shows us, therefore, just as sin came into the world through man, through one, one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. That death came to mankind and to this world through the sin of Adam and Eve. And even in Romans 8, it talks about the creation groaning, waiting for the day for sin to be done away with, for the sons of God to be revealed. And Jesus came to conquer what sin and the last enemy he's going to conquer is death when everything will be very good again. Yeah. So I think that's one of the big questions you have to answer is coming to the scriptures and looking at the the thread of the gospel through the whole, yeah. through all of scripture and say, yeah, it does matter yeah. because survival of the fittest, natural selection is all about death right? Um, and randomness where God is a God of order. Right. God, you know, God created everything out of nothing. And when he said, when he created all those things, it was orderly, it was good where the theory of evolution would say it's random and it's it's violent and it's the weaker dies off and is killed off by the stronger. And that's not, I would not say that from looking at the scripture, that that's God's good order to this world. And I would look at to that, I would say that you always need to let special revelation, the Bible, 
have the, the, the most, the precedence over natural revelation, what you see out in the world. Don't impose natural revelation or what you see in the world upon the scriptures. You start with the scriptures and impose that upon what you see in the world. And there are scientists out there that do that. Um, that are Well, that's what I was going to add to is, yeah, not only is this good biblical interpretation, actually, like this is good science, you know? Yeah. If, if you, you brought a book with you, but one, some of the books put out there by scientists that are more of a cr- Christian, coming from a pr- right. Christian perspective, are saying that, well, the theory of evolution is just that. It's a theory. Correct. Um, and unfortunately, it's come to the place where we teach it as if it's fact, right. but it is it is a theory, um, and, it, and it misses some key parts of supporting evidence. Right. That actually good science, I think we're going to find in the long run, aligns with good biblical interpretation, right. and that actually the natural revelation and the special revelation eventually line up, yeah. uh, you know, when we, when we study them deeply and hard. Yeah. yeah. When you think about it, like what science is, it's knowledge, it's the study, that's what the word science means, and... Science, you know, you have to have something repeated and to be able to repeat it with experimentation in order to prove what your hypothesis is, what you're thinking. This might be this, so let's experiment and let's, and if you repeat it over and over again, then that's good science. The Big Bang can, has never been observed. Nobody was there. Sure. Um, nobody has tried to repeat it or can repeat it. So it's actually a faith. It's actually yeah. looking and saying, okay, this is what these scientists are saying, and then this is how it happened. No one was there. Yeah. I mean, in the Bible, we have the God of the universe, the creator, the eternal one, saying, yeah. this is how I'm revealing myself to you. Yeah, one of my favorite books on the topic is a book called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, mm, yeah. uh, which is yeah. a great title. Um, I think Norm Geisler and Frank Turek are the two authors of yeah. that book. He's getting a little older now, but that one and anything in that line I think is good. Yeah. Good stuff helps on that. Another key point. So you mentioned that theologically one of the main the one of the main problems is death, that death happening right. before the fall is an issue. Uh, alongside of that, I would also bring up you read Romans five, which talks about the um, the first atom and the last atom. Yes. Right. And I think with evolution, you've got this problem of it kind of eliminates the first atom. Exactly. That, that really, right. if you were to follow, you know, the the theory and the science, there can't be just one human being, one Homo sapien from which all mm-hmm. came. That it doesn't work that way in that theory. Um, and so you lose the original one atom. Right. And the Bible tells mm-hmm. us that there's one atom, and that because of that one atom, that's where. Sin comes from in all of us, and then the result is that Jesus, the last right. Adam, overcomes that sin. So actually, you you become you lose our doctrine of sin and our doctrine of the gospel, salvation. Right. How you get saved from sin? That's a big issue. Yeah. So it's a it's a it's a it's a big issue, and it's okay to question it because we weren't there. And there's some things in the scriptures. You know, the scriptures not a science book, but it points to how God did things. But what's interesting is there are scientists out there that are coming to practicing science and doing science through the lens of the scripture. This would be a book on that. It's called Replacing Darwin by Nathaniel um, Jensen. And um, he's actually got a PhD in in cell and developmental biology from Harvard University. Here's a Harvard University guy who I got this for Christmas one time. And it's a science book. And so I haven't read it yet, but I know (laughs) there's some good stuff in it. That's not what you read before bed. No, no. So if you're looking for, like, here's a guy who actually is a scientist who comes to Scripture, believes in a literal six-day, 24-hour creation, who's a Harvard graduate who believes that and does science. So it's it's there. Yeah. And to the, I'll add to you, to the, so... 
in my mind, I always separate the the evolution issue and the age of the earth issue. They do mm-hmm. they do relate and go together. Um, personally, I, well, I think both of us here are both guys who believe in seven days or six days, 24-hour periods. Yep. I think that is the simplest way to read the Bible and read the text. Mm-hmm. I think it makes sense. Um, I, I try to be a little bit flexible and gracious on the, the age of the earth thing. But right. when it comes to evolution, man, I think that's pretty clear and that, right. there's a hard line there. And one of the things with the age of the earth that gets me to is looking at that this and saying, okay, there's morning, there's evening, and he talks about days, there's six days, and then the Sabbath. Yeah. I mean, that's just the natural flow of our lives, too. Yeah. I mean, there's been people who have tried to change from a seven-day week, and it messes everything up. Yeah. So it just, it, to me, when you look at it, you start here, it says, you know, six-day creation, seventh-day rest. That's just the natural flow of, of what, how the earth works, too. Yeah. And so if you start if you start thinking about like the Grand Canyon or other sort of natural effects, um, things that we that that we often look at and say, well, that took millions of years for that to happen. Actually, so Ken Am, Ken Ham and the Answers in Genesis yeah. organization. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of good stuff there. The Creation Museum. Yeah. If you've ever heard of them, that's that's them. Um, my wife and I had a chance to go there, um, see the museum, read some of their stuff, and I was really compelled by a lot of what they shared. And actually the fact that we have witnessed um, erosion of rock like right. that's a massive. So Mount St. Helens in 1980 blew up and we saw just how fast the earth really can change with yeah. wind and water and lava. And that actually, hey, this stuff doesn't have to take millions of years. It could happen really fast. Right. And especially when we take into account a worldwide flood. Right. We think about a flood happening in Genesis 6. Man, that could change the earth like right. pretty fast. Real fast. So. You, you know, people say, was it a little water over a long period of time or a lot of water over a short period right, of time? Right, So, and in the Grand Canyon, there's actually trees growing up through right. the strata of rock. Right. So, yeah, it's, uh, there, if you, we can come, we don't have to be ignorant of what science is and what it, what, yeah. you know, with holding true to the scriptures as yeah. well. Yeah, Christianity is not anti-science. Correct. By any, by any means. Um, unfortunately, often us in the, um, and maybe mainstream scientists have a different starting point. Yeah, they want to assume that there is no God, whereas we're saying, well, there is a God, right? Um, or even if you were to be fair and more neutral and start in the middle. Um, but either way, yeah, Christianity, Christianity is not anti-science. Correct. We work together to see yep. both of God's parts of His revelation. Awesome. Next question. Here we go. How can God be a God of love and yet He can send people to hell? Good question. That is a good question. Uh, there's in, in thinking through this, there's an analogy I've heard where, you know, if you if you go to a junkyard and you you take your key and you scratch an, a 1965 Ford, mm. people aren't probably re- really going to care. It's like, don't hurt your key because you need to leave, right? They don't mm. care about the vehicle. But if you go into the new Ford lot and scratch a car, you're going to be in trouble. Mm. But then if you go to a Lamborghini lot and start scratching the car, you're going to be in even more Mm. trouble because of the value of the object, right? Mm. Yeah. And so we've sinned against a holy good, the creator, the ultimate God, and we've sinned against him. And it's not that we just put a scratch on it. Jesus says that if we, if we like hate somebody, you know, that is like, it's like murder, if you lust after a woman in your heart, that's adultery. And when we lie, so we didn't just scratch the Lamborghini. We stole the Lamborghini. We mm-hmm. went on a joyride, were chased by the cops, ran over some people, mm-hmm. and then crashed it. Sure. And we've all done that. For all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. 
And what is a holy and just God supposed to do with that? Well, the one thing he does do is he sends his son, Jesus Christ, to save sinners. And we don't do anything. Jesus took our punishment. And we turn to Jesus, put our faith in him, and we have salvation. We don't face that. But God is just. And so, and he's loving. And you can't separate the two. And so, therefore, a loving and just God can punish people in hell and still remain loving and just. Yeah, yeah. And I would also just turn the question around of, if God doesn't send people to hell, how can you be satisfied with that? Right, yeah, Um, that's a great point. Man, can you imagine a heaven without a hell or... Or a world in which there's a God who claims to be just. Yeah, right. There you go. There you go. Uh, You know, can you imagine getting to heaven and seeing, you know, Adolf Hitler? uh, Or, you know, just think of all the horrific things that happen in our world and just think if there is no eternal justice. um, As Christians, we believe that justice is always satisfied either by the the sinner receiving um, their just punishment in hell or Mm -hmm. by Jesus taking their punishment on the cross, receiving God's wrath on the cross for them. That either way, justice gets satisfied. Right. But man, I think for many people in the world, I think it's a it's an interesting place for us to to sit and think, yeah, there shouldn't be a hell. Um, we don't think people need justice. I sort of wonder what kind of lifestyle you come from that you think that. But I think for many people in our world, they've seen or they've suffered such injustice that they, I think, understand the right. need for God. If God is going to be loving, he must also be just. Right. Um, how can God love? me or be good if he's not going to punish evil. Exactly. And and it's one of those things too that's a, you know you always the saying that that's above my pay grade. That is God's decision and that is what God's doing. I'm glad that it's not my decision. I don't want that. Yeah. And God who is knows all, is all powerful. He knows all things. He knows the th- thoughts and intentions of our hearts. He will deal justly and lovingly in this world in the end. That's right. We know that he's good. We know that he's just. Yep. We listen to his word and we trust that whatever mm-hmm. decision he makes is the best. And we also, we know our role, which is to share the good news of the gospel. Right. That hell, you don't you don't have to end up in hell. Exactly. You can turn to Jesus and receive salvation from your mm-hmm. sins uh, by putting your faith in him. Right. So, yeah, good. All right, last question for us today is this. How do we reconcile Jesus' teaching on nonviolence and love for our enemies in the New Testament with the acts of violence and warfare that God uh, assigns to his people in the Old Testament, such as the destruction of Jericho, God's command for Saul to destroy the Amalekites. Uh, how do you how do you reconcile this apparent contradiction, and how do we interpret and apply conflicting passages like that? Well, Jesus does say that, but Jesus also says that if you lead a little one astray, it'd be better if a millstone were tied around your neck and you were drowned in the sea. That's a good point. <laughs> you know, so he does, Jesus talks about hell and judgment quite a bit. And, yeah. But he does talk about love, too, because he's yeah. God in the flesh, right? Yeah. There's those two sides. Yeah. But when you look at um, the well, Old Well, actually, if I, if I could jump in a quick yeah, second, for I it. think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I want to say I want to say that Jesus actually talks about hell more than any other character yes. in the Bible. Exactly. Right? Yes. Yeah. Jesus in the New Testament mm-hmm. talks about hell more than any other character in the Bible. Yeah. So, so you got to be wanna, careful before right. you jump to that sort of conclusion. Oh, Jesus didn't talk about that. That's just an Old Testament thing. Right. That's that's not true. So people do so many times, they cherry-picked, you know, what they want to read. Yeah. And Jesus does say a lot of things about love. But then he also says, you know, get the away from me. I've never known you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, toss them into eternal yeah. judgment, you know, where there'll be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Yeah. You know, so... 
there, there are those two sides. But also in going to the Old Testament, what we see going on is, is these people that are going to have judgment brought upon them through the nation of Israel, they're not some perfect people. There, there's, there's sin there and um, evil there. These, these people were sacrificing their children to gods and, and doing evil things. And in fact, in Genesis um, chapter 15, um, when God is giving, making the covenant with Abraham, he says this um, in verses 15 and 16, he says, as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace and you shall be buried in a good old age and they shall come back here in the fourth generation after Israel has been slaves for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Yeah. So these people have come to a point where they're, they're sacrificing their children. They are evil and God is bringing judgment upon them through Israel. Plus, God wants to keep his people set apart for him. Yeah. And he says they cannot make covenant and be with these people, have marriages with these people because they they are worshiping demons. They're following after other gods. So they needed to get them out of there as well. Yeah. And we see what the Amalekites, part of the problem with that with Saul is they didn't obey God <laughs> and get rid of them at first. And they were causing all kinds of problems. And Israel ended up intermarrying with those the people of the land and falling into idolatry, and then think God had judgment on them as well. Yeah. Yeah, God in the Old Testament is not, it's, this is not racial or ethnic cleansing. No. This is not, yeah, this is not about one race of people or, or country versus another country. This is God has decided to use a certain country to punish sin. Right. Um, God decides to do it that way mm-hmm. at that time. Um, and we also see that actually later in the Old Testament against Israel. Right. God uses other nations such as Assyria and Babylon, Babylon yep. to punish Israel's sin. So it did go both ways. Um, I can understand why people that's that is there are some scenes in there, especially in the book of Joshua and Judges, mm-hmm. where you're, there's some scenes in there that are they're they're pretty R. gruesome. <laughs> yeah, they're they're rated R. You don't you want to read those to your yeah. kids maybe and leave out a couple of the details. There's some tough stuff that happens yep. in there, but they are not innocent people. It's God's right. decision about how to punish sin. Um you know, we don't get to make those decisions. That was a unique time in history right. that it was a theocracy. You know, God declared Israel is going to do this, go do this. Um, you know, we don't get to say that now in, in the United States or whatever and no. say, hey, we're going to go punish sin over there. Nor is um, that doesn't our work intention. the same way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think it comes back to our first question, too. These questions like, you know, God is the creator of the universe, capital C, everything else is creation. Do you believe God is good, holy, and just? infinite, eternal, knows more than we do, do you trust him? Yeah. You know, that's that's one of the things that, you know, we're called the people of faith. So we can have answers for this, but some of it boils down to God, God's God, and yeah. we're not, and yeah. we trust what he says. We believe he's good. So some of it does boil down to that as well. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. Yeah. Great stuff, brother. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Great questions, as always. Continue to ask them. You can always uh, listen to us on YouTube, Facebook, and also this is now a podcast. If you want to listen to us in the car or at work or however you do that, um, you can find us uh, wherever you find podcasts from. Awesome. Have a great week, everybody. Thanks for listening to That's a Good Question. If you want to discover more resources from Peace Church, head to our website at peacechurch.cc. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast and leave a review. It helps us get more gospel-centered, family-focused, and kingdom-minded resources to more people.
You can find That's a Good Question at resoundmedia.cc or wherever you listen to podcasts.